Are you ready for the word this morning? Who's ready for the word? Yeah. Here we go. Father, I want to thank you for this, what you've put in my heart. Lord, that you would anoint me for this task. That you'll give us ears to hear what you're saying. That we would be challenged. That we would be encouraged. That we would be stirred. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. At Easter time this year, I went to uh, Swansea. We actually stayed at Caves Beach. Here's a picture of uh, Swansea. Has anyone been to Swansea before? Yeah. It's a lovely spot. There's a massive inlet and the water goes around. We stayed at Caves Beach and I took my four meter tinny and I drove it on the, on the roads, of course, to here where I, there's, a, there's a boat ramp. I put my boat in and I drove out into this area, whatever the water's called, Lake Macquarie. I drove around this way. It's about three kilometers from there to there, around to this island called Poolbar Island, and, and I was drifting along here in my boat, because apparently that on, on that side of Poolbar Island, that's where you catch big flatheads. Did I catch any big flatheads? Nothing. I caught nothing. Now, I was so committed to catching flatheads that I was out there really early in the morning. I was there for like six or seven hours at a time. It was wonderful. And I had three rods in the water. How, this exciting, Alyssa? Fishing, yeah. So, so I'm, you're gonna love this, Lisa. On one line, I had a pilchard. You know what a pilchard is? It's a fish about this, no, no, this long. Pilchard, right? And we had gang hooks, and I had three gang hooks in it, and I would throw that over the side, and that would just drift along the bottom as the boat would drift. That was one line. I had that down. The next line, I had a piece of mullet, like a big piece of mullet, the flathead like, and I had that again drifting along the bottom. And then on my third rod, I had a lure. Right, a little two and a half inch minnow plastic blue and white lure with speckles, so it lit up in the, with the sun. And I was throwing that out and bringing that in. Well, ten o'clock in the morning, two lines in, about to throw in the third one. And as I throw it, this bird caught a little turn, flew across my line, and I hooked him. It, her, whatever the sex of the bird was, I hooked it right. And the bird was, just started flapping its wings and hit the water. And it kept flapping and flapping. And it flew up and crashed. And it flew up and it crashed. And it flew up. Oh, Jess, had a good time in those sneezes. It, it flew up again and it crashed. Choo, perfect. Um, and it crashed into the water again and it had its, all its wings and it was all tied up in my fishing line. Now, ni- nylon line, would you could cut it and, and it should be able to get out of it, but it was braid. Now, if you know what braid is, braid's like string and it's really 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 strong it's thin and it's strong and if I just cut my line this bird would have been a goner so what I decided was I was going to grab the bird not grab the bird grab the line and bring him over to the edge of the boat and unwind it right but the problem is I've got I'm drifting and the island's about 30 meters away and I'm getting closer to the rocks and this bird is still kicking its legs and trying to move and it's going towards my other lines and if I thought if I brought the bird in it could have got tangled with the other line so I went I put that one down Line was slack, and I picked up firstly the pilchard, wound that one in, put that in, picked up the mullet line, started winding that halfway in, and all of a sudden came this breasted sea eagle looking for lunch. It saw this bird that they thought was dying on the surface, so this thing comes down and tries to grab it. Like this massive would have been like this wide, this wide fishing story, right? Um, to try and grab. Thankfully it missed because if it grabbed it, it would have had a fishing rod with a bird, with a big bird flying up to the tree of Poolbar Island. Thankfully it missed and I freaked out. I went, ah! 
ah, like really, really freaked out. So then I went, oh dear, and I, and I where's that bird going? And he flew back up there. So I dropped that right. I grabbed the line and brought it in as fast as I could, watching the eagle and looking at the bird. And then I got it really close to the boat. And as I tried to unwind it, the bird tried to bite me while I'm trying to watch the bird and watch the eagle so it didn't get its lunch. And I got it unwound and the bird flew away. Wow. Now, you know what I did next? I got on the, what did I do? I did not catch a flathead. I got on the phone and I rang my wife and I said, Michelle, you will not believe what just happened. Now that's a fishing story. And then the next day I saw um, a lady named Arnie Sue, who's Michelle's Arnie, and I told her the story and I told the cousins the story. And everyone I saw for the next couple of weeks, I told the story about the little, what's it called? The little turn bird and the breasted sea eagle that wanted its lunch. What's my point? The point's this. It's natural for us to share with others important events in our lives. When things happen in our life that's important, we just naturally share it. New job, new relationship, whatever. A, a cool thing happens in the workplace or sport or whatever. The natural thing is to tell others about these important events in our lives. Now hold that thought for a moment. We're going to come back to that thought. I'm going to take you somewhere else. I want to take you to our main scripture for this year from John chapter 17. This is Jesus praying on the Thursday night before the Friday. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. His life's about to be arrested. He's in a really difficult place. He prays for his disciples and then he prays for us. And this is what he prays for us. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, his, his 12 disciples and the, and the disciples with him at the time. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's praying for us. His prayer is that, verse 21, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus' prayer, friends, is that we're one, that we're one, firstly, with each other. He talks about the relationship between the Father and the Son and that we as God's people would have a relationship like the Father and the Son has, which is one of love and one of unity around purpose and direction and heading in the same direction, achieving the same things, and that's what God wants for us. But then it also says, may they also be in us. There's this oneness that God wants with us. God wants us to have a tight relationship with him. God wants us to be intimate, to be close, to be on the same agenda, to be with God, to be one with him. Now, we've shared lots of messages about that this year. But what I want to take you to is that last sentence, and I've made it in bold in verse 21, that says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So in this verse, it seems that Jesus is saying that as we're one with God, as we're intimate with God, as we encounter God, as we're close with God, as we're one with him, Somehow the world will find out about it. They will find out about this, this uh, Jesus King who has come as God's King to set up his kingdom and to rule. It says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So as we're one with God, somehow the world finds out about Jesus. 
And friends, as we talk about this, we bring in this word called evangelism, which is a really scary word that many of us don't like, that many of us aren't good at, that many of us don't do that well. Evangelism is a, a naughty word for, for some Christians because they go, I don't like that. That's horrible. When you did your survey this year in July that we do each year, and please do the survey in 2018 because it gives us good results, we ask this question. Well, it's a statement. You have, to, you have to answer it. I can explain to someone how to have a personal relationship with Jesus. There's 2016, 2017 in yellow, 53% agree that you can explain to someone how to have a relationship with Jesus. And in green, 29% strongly agree that you can explain to someone how to have a personal relationship with Jesus. So 82% of the church, 82% of those who, who did the survey can share with someone how to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Is that a good thing? Absolutely, that's a good thing. 82% of us go, yeah, I'm equipped and I want you to be equipped. And that's a really, really good thing. But look at the next question. In the past 12 months, how many people have you had the opportunity to have a shared Jesus conversation? And we, we describe what that was. That was simply where you have the opportunity to hear someone where they're at in life and you have the opportunity to share what Jesus has done in your life with them. Look at these results. It's very hard to read from there. 26.8% of those who did the survey, a quarter of the church said, I've shared Jesus with this many people this year. Zero. A quarter of the church said, I have not shared Jesus, have had a shared Jesus conversation with anyone this year. The next group is, oops, the next group is 20%. And that's the number one. So 20% of the church shared Jesus with one person. The next group is two, 13%. So just about 60% of our church shared the message with Jesus, of Jesus with two or less people in the last 12 months. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not really excited by that number. <laughs> now, someone wrote a 1,000. I don't know if that was a joke or there's a full-on Reinhardt Bonnke um, in, in our church, but I don't know who that is. So if that's you, please come and tell me. I'd like to know about that. But that's not the, that's not the results that I would hope for. And, and, and I know that evangelism is a problem for us. Now, I don't struggle with it. It's, I, I like it. I like sharing Jesus with people. It was actually easier before I was a pastor. Before I was a pastor, I'd have heaps more Jesus conversations than what I do now. When people find out I'm a pastor, they really don't want much to do with me, and they expect me to have the Jesus conversation. So I think it's actually harder. It was actually easier for me as a teacher to share with unbelievers about Jesus because they don't don't expect me to be the religious guy who has all the answers. I know you struggle with it. I know most people struggle with it. So what have have we done as a a church? Well, we've tried to help you. We um, have courses. We had Mike, Mike McGarrity from Engadine come last year. He preached and then ran three Thursday nights on how to share your faith. We've, we've got resources, two ways to live, Alpha, Christianity Explained. I've put together foundations, which is for people who are, who are interested in Christ, who have not yet made a decision or have just made a decision for Jesus. And it takes you through five sessions around who is Jesus and the basic foundations of what it is to follow Christ. We've created these resources to help you. We create environments for you to invite 
And we know you can invite because you invite people to your house. You invite people to dinner. You invite people to coffee. You invite people to parties. We know you can invite. So we create environments where you can invite. On the 29th of October this year is our picnic down at Playford Park. No preaching, just kicking a footy, eating food. Great example, great opportunity for you to invite family and friends, non-threatening environment where they can hang out with some Christians. Because a lot of people come to faith firstly through relationships. They have a relationship with some Christian. They go, they got something that I like. I think I want that. That's Kylie Michael's testimony. I like what they've got. I'm interested in that. I think I want it. So we create that. But there's other opportunities. There's the Easter extravaganza. You can invite people to Easter egg hunt, non-threatening, and you will have the gospel presented from the platform. At Christmas time, we run these Christmas carols, again, where the gospel is presented from the platform. And we run worship services where you can invite unsafe friends. We asked a question in the survey. We said, do you feel comfortable in inviting an unbeliever to a Sunday service? And 85% said yes, which made me very happy. We want our worship services to be a place where you can invite someone who's unchurched, not yet a Christian, trying to work it out or has no idea at all. We want to create an environment where they come in and go, wow, these people are passionate about God, where the words that we use are not these Christian weirdo things, but they can understand it. They may not believe everything that I say, but they should hopefully understand it. Every, every service, we give the opportunity for people to pray a prayer of response to Jesus. We want to create an environment where people can invite. So let me encourage you to invite. Invite unbelievers to, our, to your life group dinners, to your life group, to church services, to our events that we run. But even in the case of inviting, it does still not take away our responsibility in sharing what God has done in our life with others. We're still called to evangelize. In 2 Corinthians 5, it tells us, it says that we are Christ's ambassadors. We are his representatives on planet Earth. When people look at us, they see Jesus. And sometimes that's a good thing. <laughs> and sometimes it's not such a good thing. We're, we are his representatives on planet Earth. Please invite, but please also share what God has done. Now, this evangelism thing, as I said, is a difficult thing, but I think in this verse, in John chapter 17, it gives us a simple, clear, natural strategy. Stephen knows where I'm going with this. Simple, clear, natural strategy in sharing our faith with others. It says in bold in verse 21 from John 17. Jesus says, his prayer is, may they also be in us. May they be united with us. May they be, may they encounter us. May they be intimate with us. May, may they meet with us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Here's, here's what I want to say this morning, friends. That when you encounter God, when God encounters you, when you meet him, when he speaks to you, when God does something in your world, when he challenges, when he encourages, when God moves in your world, the natural thing to do is to share it with others. I started this message by talking about that bird and, the, and, the, and that eagle who wanted his lunch with that little turn, right? And he wanted to eat that. And the natural thing for me to do was to share that story with everyone I saw for the next two weeks. 
What I want to say this morning, the natural thing for you to do that when you encounter Jesus, when he speaks to you, when you're reading his word and a, a verse pops out or God heals or God changes or God does something in your world, the natural thing is to share that important event with the people around you. That's an evangelism strategy that is so very, very simple. Just like other important events you share, share what God has done, is doing in your life with others. That's what the Apostle Paul did. In Acts chapter 9, we we are read about a man named Saul. God changes his name in Acts chapter 13 to Paul. So whenever you say Saul, Paul, same guy, yeah, in the, in the, in the New Testament. And Luke, the guy who wrote Acts, tells the story of Paul's conversion experience. It's here. Paul writes, sorry, Luke writes about Paul, Saul, verse 3 of Acts chapter 9. As he neared Damascus, as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now, who was this Saul? He was a guy who was a Jewish religious leader who thought Christians were taking people away from Judaism and they were wrong and it was ungodly and it should not happen. Saul was the guy who gave approval for the first Christian's death. Well, is Jesus the first Christian? Whatever, not the first Christian. Jesus can't be a Christian? He didn't follow Christ, did he? <laughs> he is Christ. <laughs> so the first, the, the first Christian, Stephen, Acts chapter 7, you read about him. Acts chapter 8, you read about him. And Paul, Saul gives approval to Stephen's death. He gets stoned. The people lay their coats at the feet of Saul as he gave his approval. This guy's a bad dude, Christian killer. And he goes to Damascus with, with letters from the religious leaders getting approval. If he finds anyone who belongs to the way, that's what we were called once, the people who belonged to the way before we were called Christians, that he could put him in prison. And he had their approval. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Saul then goes to Ananias. He and a nice praise for him. His eyes are open. He gets filled with the Spirit. And then in verse 19, this is what we read. Oops. In verse 19, this is what we read. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And in verse 20, at once, at once, I read it again. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Friends, when you have an encounter with Jesus, the natural thing for you to do is to share it with others. And I'm sure Paul shared this testimony over and over and over again as he went and did evangelism. We are read this testimony again, if you want to read it at home, in Acts chapter 22. He retells his story. And then in Acts chapter 26, you have it again. Three times in the book of Acts, we have this encounter where Paul meets Jesus. Paul goes to Jerusalem, Acts 21, Acts 22, gets arrested, gets taken eventually to King Agrippa. And Paul retells the story of his encounter with Jesus to King Agrippa. Let's read it. 
This is Acts chapter 26, verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. This is Paul speaking. Verse 13, about noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus speaks Aramaic, everyone. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Verse 15, then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness for sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Friends, the natural thing for Paul was to retell the story of what God had done in his life. It is natural for us to share with others the important events in our lives. No wonder Paul kept sharing it, kept sharing his testimony of what Jesus had done. And friends, it's not just Paul. In John chapter 4, when Jesus goes into Samaria, he meets the woman at the well in the middle of the day and Jesus has his conversation. And it turns out that she has five husbands and Jesus tells her you've had five husbands. She is so blown away by her encounter with Jesus. The woman who is ostracized by her community. The woman who is rejected by her community. We know because of the time she went to the well. She runs to that community and says, guess what everyone? I've just met someone who's told me everything that I've ever done. Her encounter with Jesus was so strong and so impacting that the natural thing for her to do was to go to the community and say, guess what Jesus did for me? And that whole community came and they heard from Jesus and many believed. And they said, we don't just believe because of her testimony, we've heard for ourselves and believe who Jesus is. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus raises a girl from the dead and the scripture says that the news of that, of that girl being raised from the dead was spread throughout the whole region. Why? Because the natural thing to do when people encounter Jesus is to share it with others. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus goes to two blind guys who cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus heals these blind guys. And again, the scripture says, news about this event spread throughout the whole countryside. Why? Because the natural thing to do is that when people encounter Jesus, they share it with others. In Mark chapter 7, there was a deaf and mute man. Jesus healed that person. And Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this healing. And no doubt Jesus was thinking about him dying at the right time in the Jewish calendar and things like that. But that man couldn't help himself. Jesus impacted his life so much that he couldn't help but tell others, even when Jesus said not to. Why did the 4,000 and the 5,000 turn up? Because people have been talking about the things that Jesus done in their life. In Matthew chapter 28, on the resurrection morning, when the women went to the tomb and they saw the resurrected Jesus in bodily form, you know what they did? They jumped on a plane, went to Bali, kept the, kept the, kept the news to themselves because they were so excited about it and just lived out the rest of their days. That's not what they did. They were so impacted by the resurrected Jesus, they went straight to the disciples and said, Guess what happened? Guess what happened? 
the natural thing for me and for you to do when we encounter Jesus is to share with others the events of what God has done. When uh, Joel was three, four years of age, how old was he? It's in my notes, I had to ask my wife. Three years of age. He had these ear, he's now eight, he had these ear infections. Over a five month period, he had 13 courses of antibiotics. That's a lot, isn't it, Diane? 13 courses of antibiotics. And he'd have antibiotics. And then after the antibiotics would wear, would, would run out, his temperature would flare. We'd back at the doctors. They'd look in his ears. Yes, they're infected again. Red, have more antibiotics. And this happened over and over again. The doctor eventually said, you have to go to an ear, nose, throat specialist and get grommets. Whenever we'd run out of antibiotics, temperature would spike back at the doctors. We were at, up at our, our holiday destination. We ran out, of, ran out of antibiotics. We went to the local doctor. Same thing. He needs grommets. So we booked the appointment with the ear, nose, and spe- ear, nose, throat specialist for a few weeks' time. And, we, and, and Michelle and I, my wife and I, are thinking to ourselves, we don't want Joel to have an operation. So we pray, God, we pray that you would heal his ears. That when he goes to that specialist, there'll be nothing wrong. When he looks in his ears, there'll be nothing wrong. God, we, we, we believe for a healing. He continues the antibiotics and we get to the ear, nose and, spoke, ear, nose and throat specialist. It's hard to say. He looks in his ears and he says, why is he here? What do you mean? There's nothing wrong with his ears. And we're going, thank you, Jesus. He goes, tell me the story again. And we retold him the story. He goes, um, what I'm seeing in your story, they, they don't match up. They don't match up. So we're going to book in the operation anyway. So in about six weeks' time, they, they booked the operation because they, he expected the ears to go back to red because this is, this is what happens. And we said, okay, we'll book it. But if, but if the ears don't go red again, we're not having the operation. He goes, done. And guess what? No ear infections for five years, no operation. <laughs> Do you know who I told that story to? You know who I told that story to? Everyone. Because God moved in my world, He moved in Joel's world. Because the natural thing to do is that when you encounter Jesus, is to tell other people about Him. Have you got the point today? Have you heard the point of today's message? And it doesn't have to be the miraculous stuff. I mean, King David gets excited about the Psalms and he writes for all, for all of us to hear about this wonderful creation. You can tell people about the creation. You can tell people about God's moving in your business. You can tell how God moved in your relationship. You can tell people how God moved in your finances. Tell people what God has done. I remember when I was a teacher on Monday mornings, I worked in a government high school, and it was always because there were a bunch of young guys in their 20s. I was one of the youngest, these guys from their 20s, and they were wild. It was a fun, 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 great, great time as a teaching. We used to play cricket in the staff room. With cricket balls, we used to get a helmet, like the proper cricket helmet, and stick it on the art teacher's head so she wouldn't get hurt. And then we'd use a folding cabinet as stumps and play. It was great. We had a great time as teachers. That's what, that's what they do, these teachers. That's all they do, cricket now. Not really. Moving on. And on Monday mornings, we would... Say, how was your weekend? And they would talk about what the crazy stuff they would did, they did, and they, and I'd tell them about what I did, and I would, as much as I could, tell them the stories of what happened on, on at church on Sunday morning or Sunday night, how this person committed their life to Jesus, or this person got um, had had a new understanding, or particularly about me. Whenever God did something impactful in my life, or what He spoke to me about, or when He touched me, I would tell them that story, because I wanted to share the natural everyday stories of relationship with Jesus. When people say to me, Nathan, why, why did you become a pastor? 
And I say to them, hey, it's, 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 it's one of those weirdo stories. Do you want to hear it? And they go, yeah, I really want to hear it now. It's one of those weirdo stories. Well, and I say in 2007 in October, I was walking around the backyard praying and I heard God speak to me clearly, Nathan, you'll be leading the church next year. And I was like, what's that? We have a pastor. I don't want his job. And that night I get a phone call from one of the elders saying the pastor's resigning. And they go, wow, that's a pretty, and I don't know how they respond to that story. But that's what God did in my life. And the natural thing to do is to share that story with others. At, at soccer this year, talk, I'm trying to build relationships with the fathers. And, and, and one of the dads shared with me a difficult situation. And I just read a Bible verse a couple of days earlier that related directly to him. And I said, actually, um, for me, God spoke to me about this from, from this verse in the Bible. I reckon it will help you and, and it may encourage you. So I got to share with them what God said to me from the Bible with him. It doesn't have to be people being raised from the dead or miraculous healings to share. The encounters that you have with God, the things that God's done in your world, is doing, has done, the natural thing to do is to share it with others. Now let me say this, that I think many of us struggle to share our faith is because we're not having regular encounters with God. Boom. You like that one, Stephen? Where people talk about yesterday's bread. You know, I hate, one of my hates in life is stale bread. Bread rolls, a day old, nah, don't like them. They're no good. I need fresh bread. Who are the fresh bread people in the room? Can't handle it. And us Westerners in the 20 pathetic, aren't we really? Say that in Africa, we'd be throwing things, people would throw things at us, yeah? Sorry? They throw stale bread at us. We have communion here. It's pretty stale sometimes. Uh, stale bread. And many of us are living off yesterday's thing with God. You know, God spoke to me 10 years ago. But as Christians, God wants us to be having daily fresh bread with Him. Freshly baked every day. God's speaking to us. God's challenging us. God's moving us. And the reason many of us don't share is because we've got nothing to share. We do, because God has done things in your life. But when it's not fresh, it's not as obvious. So friends, I want to give you some really practical things this morning. We need to position ourselves to encounter God. And if we're going to position ourselves to encounter God, the first thing we need to do and the most important thing we need to do is that we need to have personal time with Jesus, just you and Him. You know, for me, church is great. I love the worship. I love hanging out with you guys. When someone else preaches, God speaks to me about something. It's always the case when God speaks to me from a message. But the most powerful times with God have been just me and Him with the Bible and prayer. And just when God speaks to me and convicts me or challenges me or moves me or one-on-one. And if you're a new Christian, this, this, this our church experience with the preacher speaking, hopefully God's truth to you, and I believe it is when I speak, that's what I pray, this will be the most wonderful time for you. And that, 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 that's a good thing. But as you go deeper with God, as you get along in the journey, this will be good, but it won't be the best. And the best, the best, the best will be you and Jesus. Amen, Stephen? In our survey this year, this is, this is what you told us. We asked the question, how many times per week do you take time out of your day to read the Bible and pray? And this is what the survey results said, that, that 12% of our church doesn't read the Bible and pray at all during the week. Don't do it. 
38% one or two times a week. One or two times a week, 38%. 25% three to five times a week. And the top 25% six to seven times a week. 40% one to two times, 12% never. Now, I, I don't know what that does with you, but surely we want more and more people in that, in, in that, in that top part of that circle. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never committed your life to Jesus, of course you're not reading the Bible. <laughs> that's, that that's perfectly makes sense. I get that. And as a new Christian, you might be still trying to work it out. But let me encourage you, you know, if you want to be serious about your faith, you want to honour Jesus, you want to follow him all your days, that one-on-one time with Jesus, enable him to speak to you. God spoke to me powerful on, powerfully on Friday. Powerfully on Friday. I'm reading, I read one chapter a day. I'm in 2 Corinthians, just read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, about Paul and just his sold-out life, that this life meant nothing to him. Just wanted to serve God. And I go, God, man, I want to be like that. Two more things. Position yourself to encounter God. Number two, get yourself in a place where, the worship, where there's a worship experience happening. When we're in worship here, when we are singing songs, and the Bible says when we draw near to God in James 4.8, that he will draw near to us. Where are two or three gathered in his name, that God is there. When we are together, God's there and God moves. We have prayer and worship nights, where we can, which are our vision nights, where we can encounter God through worship and pray together. Get in environments where people are worshipping in a community. Go to a conference. Get together with other Christians that are pursuing God together and see what God does in those places. And finally, stepping out. Something happens when we step out in mission. When you get out of your comfort zone and you step out to serve God in serving in a ministry, in youth ministry, in children's ministry, in the kids program at Liverpool that we're, that we're doing in September, in beach mission or some other mission or overseas mission, when you step out, God meets you there. I went to, um, I, I did 11 beach missions. Beach missions are you, you, you take a bunch of Christians to a caravan park. You go Boxing Day, you stay for about 10 days, and you run activities in the, in the, in the caravan park with the people to share the message of Jesus. A wonderful thing for the Christians that go, you have to door knock on tents. It's interesting to knock on a tent. You go knock, knock on a tent because you can't door knock a tent. And, and you have to share who you are, what you're about, and you have wonderful conversations about faith. And, and one year I went up to... Um, Lennox Head with mum, and we were the cooks. Now, if you think of me being a cook, that you'd be very, very concerned for the team. But mum was the head chef, and I was the carrot chopper. I would cut the carrots, and I would carry the supermarket, right? The supermarket groceries, that was my job. And one night, we were doing an event for the community, and we had to feed 70 people that night, and we, we invited all these people, and they were going to eat, and they were going to, and some were going to stand up and present the message of Jesus. And mum went and bought all this meat from the butcher, and we, and we stuck it in the oven, and we, and we turned it on, and it was three o'clock, or four o'clock, four o'clock. Mum, mum went to the oven, and apparently she had to put potatoes in there, and the oven had stopped working. The dinner was at seven o'clock that night, and four o'clock, the oven stopped. We're about to do this event with all these unbelievers coming to the tent. We're about to feed and about to present the message of Jesus. And the food's not going to be cooked. So what do you do? What do you do? You, we laid hands on the oven. And we said, in Jesus' name, keep cooking. Three hours later, we pull the meat out of the oven and the juices are still boiling. Three hours later. 
Explain that, friends. I can't explain that. When you step out on mission, God steps in. You have a God encounter, and I'm retelling that story of what God did on that mission. Position yourselves to encounter God. Position yourselves. And God will speak. God will move. God will change things in your world. And the natural thing for you to do is simply share what God has done with your unsaved family and friends. In Jesus' name. Amen? Father, thank you. Father, thank you for your word. Father, your word says clearly about this need for us to share the message of Jesus. Father, we've created environments as as a church where people can invite, and I pray that people will invite. That's a good thing. But God, more than that, that we would be deliberate in sharing our encounters with you, with others. Just as we share important events in our lives, that we would share what you have done, what you have done, with those that don't know you. And maybe you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus. You've heard what I said and you want to. Pray this prayer. This this prayer is about you saying, God, I believe what Jesus has done. I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. I want to follow you. If that's you this morning, I encourage you to pray this prayer after me and let's all pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus from this day forward. In Jesus' name.